Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. A lot of people have suddenly been given the opportunity to work remotely thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic that is going on in the world around us right now. However, if you want to work from home over the long term, there are a lot of things you need to get right to make sure it is sustainable. In this episode, we'll discuss a number of factors you need to have in order to be successful working from home for months or even years. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, I learned that my book is coming out next Monday. So it's, yeah, it's up on Amazon so that it'll be out April 27th. So I'm super excited about that. There's a lot of work that I still have to do, you know, because I'm involved in all the uh, marketing bits and pieces and, you know, a lot of interviews. I was on with Adventures in Angular last week. Uh, Today I was on with React Native Radio and I have a half a dozen more that I need to set up. So if you've got a successful podcast and I know you have a successful podcast, I'm probably going to call you or you should call me. Let's go ahead and do that. So yeah. Hey, you're on a successful podcast right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So things have been a little bit nuts. So all that's going on. Um, I also sent you the link, I think last night, one of my conference talks. Finally got put on YouTube. Yeah, I saw that. From MicroConf last year. So that was kind of cool last night and then completely forgot about it this morning because all the other stuff hit. Really looking forward to the world entering the post-plague period real soon now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that happens. So how about you? Dude, I am sore. I went hiking with Amanda and mom yesterday afternoon. That's, uh, you know, one of the things that we can still do right now, being social distance and being out in the parks. Uh, State parks here in Tennessee are actually closed, which was kind of frustrating. About a week or so ago, mom and I drove out to uh, Henry Horton State Park. They have some really great hiking trails out there and they were closed and I was quite frustrated. So I looked into the reason why and Like, even though our governor had said hiking and outdoor activities, so long as you maintain social distance, were essential and good for people's health and mental well-being, we had so many people, especially from surrounding states, coming to our parks on the borders because their states had closed their state parks down, that they had to close them down because people weren't able to social distance. Which to me is crazy because the state parks I've been to were like empty. Like you might run into one person out there hiking. There are always people at the campsites every time I go, but like the hiking trails and stuff, oh, hardly ever. But because that's one of the few things people can do, they're out there. I mean, we were at a city park and ran into a lot of people. I didn't run into them. Like there's the trails were wide enough to where you could step off the trail and people let people pass. It it really wasn't that much of a problem. The only issue was when there were other dogs because, you know, our dogs wanted to play with their dogs and, you know, it's like, no, you got to rein them back and animals don't understand what's going on. 
So yeah, but man, whew, I'm feeling it. So I've missed several weeks before the gyms closed because I had the kidney stone and everything. So it's actually been a few months since I've really worked out. And then over four miles and 11 floors of elevation. Let's just say I am glad I had ibuprofen when I got home. It wasn't so much when I got home as uh, this morning when I woke up. Yeah, that's the worst is when you like tip yourself out of bed and your feet hit the floor and your hind end just keeps traveling because your legs are blown out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, I did the smart thing. I took a shower last night just to sort of relax my muscles so that it, they wouldn't cramp up while I was sleeping. I've been eating a lot of bananas. So like I've been preparing for getting out and hiking, but still. So I am working on building an inventory management system for a bookstore in C++ with a command line interface as my final project for my class in school. Honestly, this isn't too difficult. I mean, I've built more complicated systems in C++ than this and in C Sharp, uh, definitely in C Sharp. But um, I mean, the thing is, the professor is requiring us to use a lot of different things that we've learned about programming, like inheritance and stuff like that. And some of it, I'm just like, you know, if you didn't require this, I would not use it to build the system. It would be a lot simpler and get all the functionality. Speaking of which, especially inheritance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would not. No, there's no need for it in this system at all. That's the one I was like thinking about. I'm like, I had to make something up to use inheritance in this system. I'll tell you the frustrating part though. Like I could figure that out. I just, so what I did was he said specifically, we needed to have a catalog, which is a linked list of books, a book class and a date class. And so I created a sale class that inherits from book (laughs) and threw in a customer name as, you know, all right, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Just so that I could use it. See, it has inheritance in it. Yeah. I use what you told me to. So uh, what's funny is that's not even the frustrating thing. The frustrating part is functional requirements. So it's a create a user interface that manages the catalog and has transactions like orders and sales, etc. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what's an order? Is an order someone calls in and orders a bunch of books, but they haven't paid yet, so it's not technically a sale? Or is an order, hey, we need to go out and replenish our stock. So we need to order these books to come in from our supplier. Or is the order, this is ready to go out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, you know, because no noun means the same thing to all the people. (laughs) There is no specificity. Like if I were given these requirements at work, I'd send it back to the BA team and be like, I can't build this because I don't know what to build. Yeah, after... You know, after a substantial amount of, <laughs> uh, yeah, cursing, probably. Nah, I've I have uh, you've mellowed in your old old age. I know. I've kind of 
moved on from the curmudgeon stage to where I'm just like, all right, you know what? They probably don't know that I need more specific requirements. And so I'm just like, hey, I can't build this. Like I found it's a lot easier to not get frustrated and just send it back and say, hey, there's no way I can build this because I don't know how to without more specificity than to get upset at them. So I emailed the professor and he was just like, oh, well, you know, just build it the way you think it should be built. And I was talking to Amanda about it and I'm like, I think his focus is on us using the different techniques and like the the things, like I said, like inheritance and stuff like that and less on the actual functional requirements. And he's just like, you'll be fun to see what they come up with because that's the way I would handle it. Yeah, I think that's one of the... <laughs> That's one of the problems with the way schools teach software development is that it's more about technique-driven development versus I have to get something done. Well, and it makes sense at this stage because I'm probably the only one in this class who has actual programming in the real-world experience. Almost all of them are like undergrad. A majority of us are, are business undergrad who decided, hey, I want to get a master's in computer science, so we have to take these prereqs because we don't have a bachelor's in it. And so like I'm probably the only one that actually has that experience. And it's interesting because like I get that to where it's like, all right, the important thing in this class is not building a functional product. It is learning these techniques. It's just not clearly stated. Yeah. And I had the same thing in a one of my college classes. I had a C class and I didn't need to be in there because I was ready for like data structures. And I ended up doing a couple of the assignments. I actually did inline assembler, you know, in the code and the the dev that was teaching the class was like, you know, I could get you a job. <laughs> you could work with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So uh, talking about school and stuff, I'm taking a training class this week uh, at work on AWS, which for this class means Amazon Web Services. We have another meaning for AWS at work, which is alternative work solutions or workspace solutions. I don't remember exactly what it means. Alternative workspaces, yeah. Yeah, it's the remote work. It's what they called remote work back when we first started doing it. And like all the developers were like, why are you calling it this? Like, But it was people who are not in the software like world at all who came up with that. So, so are you having to deal with uh, elastic search yet? I spent all day fighting it today. I haven't gotten there yet. We've, uh, we've mostly in this class just been doing a lot of like setup stuff. And this was literally day one. So we've been setting stuff up, but that is coming. Yeah. You got a stocked beer fridge at your house, right? I have three cases of beer that aren't even in the fridge yet. Well, then you'll be at least able to tolerate it. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's all right. We're going to survive it. The professor is a professor. <laughs> Instructor is pretty good. I will say this. So this is funny. Last story, and then we'll get on into it. He asked if we had any cloud experience. So I told him about uh, our issues with uh, Azure. And he too. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah. He too has had uh, similar issues with Azure. You know, another thing I really like about this guy, he's he's a good teacher and he's got a mixed bag. Like there's some like, like solution, there's like some business architect, business people there, some data people and several developers. So he's got like this mixed bag of people in there. Like some of us, we're never going to do the administrative side or the the IT side of 
managing this stuff. We're just going to be building for it. And so he's pretty good about that. And he gives a break every hour. Yeah, that's essential for this stuff. It really is. Like, that's what we did in med school. We were in class eight hours a day and we got a 10 minute break every hour. Like that made it a lot more tolerable. One of the my biggest complaints about the company that we do our uh, our training through is they'll do eight hours of training with a lunch and two 15-minute breaks, and that's it. And I'm like, after four hours of that, I'm just, I'm fried. I'm like, I, six hours maybe. Yeah, nothing sticks. Yeah, and like, I'm like, I am fighting the urge to just like, I'll have the headset on and fighting the urge to just like hop over and play on Facebook or, you know, look up bass guitars because everyone tells me I need to learn to play bass. So I'm thinking about buying a bass guitar. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> I don't know why some teachers do things the way they do. Yeah. Well, no, that's the company standard. He's breaking from the company standard by giving us these like the seven to 10 minute break every hour versus one 15 minute break every four hours. And I really, really like the way he's doing it. I highly encourage that. I have actually, in every single one of my reviews the last three or four years, um, taking classes with this company, have said the courses are too long. They should not be any more than six hours a day. Because if you do a six-hour course, I think they should be four. But if you do a six-hour course, you can get a lot of stuff in and then have a, like two hours to get work done. Like right now, I. Four days at eight hours, I'm basically not working for four days. And you're not retaining anything that's going to make you more efficient when you get back. So it's like, it's a zero value prop if you do it this way. Right, right. Yeah. All right, so uh, with all that said, uh, let's go ahead and get on into Book Club. In chapter eight of Remote Work, The Complete Guide, I discuss remote first uh, from the organizational perspective. This chapter, I start talking about the manager's perspective on remote work. So if you're in a managerial position, you kind of have a lot of other stuff you have to worry about. It's not just your productivity, but it's you know how team cohesion works. How do you train people? How do you evaluate people? How do you deal with problems that come up? You know, based around the remote work schedule and and all those kind of things, looking at how meetings need to be done, communication processes, that kind of stuff. The fact is, is that as a company goes remote, it gets very interesting for a lot of managerial types because a lot of folks are used to being able to walk around and just ask somebody where things are and they can't do that anymore. So processes have to change, you know, going all the way up to scale. So in this chapter, I break down an approach to doing this that will let you eventually create a strong remote work culture while still being able to deliver during the time that you're trying to get it all working. And we'll have a link to that chapter in the show notes. Who's talking to us, Beach? So we're, uh, we're changing things up a little bit. We are putting comments and giving out water bottles on hold for a short time. And there are several reasons for this. First off, we are almost to the end of our stock of water bottles, and there's not going to be any new ones coming in for a while, 
just it's not a priority for companies. And so it's sort of they're on back order. And so we're not going to have any new ones for a while. With everything going on, we also kind of want to reserve our postal resources for more important deliveries like water bills. I must have just received my water bill when I wrote this. I, I don't know, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> just stand outside with your mouth open this time of year. There's plenty of it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Though I would encourage you guys to support your post office. When I wrote this was before I found out that the post office was actually suffering. So anyway, the main reason is we are low on water bottles and... Also, we have not received a lot of unique comments on the website or social media. Part of that is because we had to turn off comments for a while because we were getting a lot of spam until we could get that resolved. And so uh, most of the people who we are receiving comments from, we've already sent water bottles. So uh, we appreciate you guys. Please continue to comment, y'all. That said, we will start back up probably in a month or two once things settle back down, mind you, we are recording more than a month in advance. So when you guys hear this, it might be like, well, why is this an issue now? It's because we were recording well in advance. But uh, if you guys would like a complete developer water bottle, when we start back up, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. Honestly, if you have not commented before, comment and you are very likely to get picked. Like I said, we are low on unique comments. We also post all of our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we're on Instagram and Tumblr. I need to check the LinkedIn. I think it's just posting to my LinkedIn. I'll double check that. Yeah, the zap is broken, I think, on mine. I will double check that because we do have a complete developer podcast page on LinkedIn or however LinkedIn does that. And if it is not posting there, I will fix that after May 1st because that's when all of my stuff for school is due. So after that is when I have some time to work on podcast things. In the meantime, you guys can join the conversation via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Your advertisement could be here. Hey, if you guys want to support us and help us to purchase these water bottles because otherwise it comes out of our own pockets. We'd love to have some advertisement. Uh, we could even throw in some information into the water bottles that we send out. But uh, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities, such as our uh, gift giveaway opportunity. Reach out to us and let us help you reach the people you are serving. Working remotely is a wonderful job perk and can make many developers more productive, happy, and less likely to leave for greener pastures. However, it's no panacea, especially over the long term. The effectiveness of remote work over the short term is a result of your work ethic and your ability to think on your feet. Over the longer term, however, remote work is only successful if you have good habits for managing your remote work environment. In addition to easily foreseeable problems such as communication and productivity issues, there are a lot of hazards to remote work that you might not have considered until you've done it for a while. Lots of things are stable over the short term that are completely unstable over the long term. For instance, you might need to work an 80-hour week 
for a week or two to hit a critical deadline. These are typically called death marches. And that could take your career or your company to the next level. It destroys your work-life balance, your sleep, personal interactions over a short term, but you get a long-term benefit out of it. However, you can't do that for very long. In fact, we would generally argue that you can't or shouldn't do it at all, but some people manage it reasonably well on occasion. This is like a one-off kind of thing. If you do it for very long, you not only quickly hit a point of diminishing returns, but you often do damage that can't be undone. The costs of not managing things for the long term are pretty stark. Poor remote work habits can lead to job loss, degradation of skills, damage to your most important personal relationships, financial and health woes, and even chronic pain. Now, right now, we're in a unique period in history where it is not only technologically feasible to work from home, but where we're expected to do so while heavily collaborating with other people. However, if you really want to take advantage of this unique opportunity, you're going to have to plan ahead. In this episode, we're going to talk about several tips and things that you can do to help you prepare for and set up that long-term remote situation. So the first thing we're going to talk about is your ergonomics. Yeah, so the layout of your work area can hurt you a lot, especially over time. This can include things like repetitive strain injuries, be headaches, eye strain, potential hearing loss, right? Like if you've got a noisy environment and you put headphones on and blast heavy metal so you don't have to hear the racket around you, that will get you hearing loss in a very short period of time. I've worked at a company, you know, several different companies that had really, really bad ergonomics, like in their offices. Um, I worked at one place that essentially had a kitchen counter, like with a sharp corner. And we were expected to sit there and type for eight hours a day. I still have the braces from, uh, you know, where I started getting some carpal tunnel type symptoms, you know, the tingling and all the, the pain. As soon as I quit that job, it went away. You know, like uh, it was a, you know, a few weeks. You know, thankfully, it was early enough in the onset of symptoms that I didn't have more problems. But the problem is, is when you work from home, you have a tendency to be a lot cheaper as far as fixing things. And so it's like, ah, I can take this for another month. And if you put it off, you'll eventually get a problem that you can't get past. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. It wasn't that long ago that uh, when we went to all of the remote stuff, we started doing remote small groups for church. And so the group that I lead, we started doing a Zoom meeting and Amanda, when she didn't have to work, would come over here and sit with me at my computer. Um, I have a chair beside me that she'd sit in and we would do sort of a wider angle on my camera and be in the group together. But one of the first things she asked was like, why is your keyboard so much lower than your desk? Because I have a keyboard drawer, but the keyboard is right at where the armrests on my chair are. So I can literally have my arm sitting there. Now this, the keyboard drawer is not large enough for my mouse, but when I'm heavily working, like I don't reach up and touch my mouse very much. That's one of the things I picked up from Will when I was learning to code was just, you know, I'll use the mouse a little bit, probably more than he does, but 
when I'm coding, I'm using keyboard shortcuts more than anything. It's just faster. And once you have them down, you don't even think about them. But with what I'm getting at is like, I purposely use that uh, so that my hands, because when I first started, I had the keyboard up on the desk. And if I had a different chair, like I had a different chair when I first started and that worked because the chair set higher. Yeah. When your keyboard's too high, it tends to push your shoulders up. The other thing it also tends to do is because you're kind of high centering your arms is it tends to make you put more weight on the arms. And so like you'll notice this a lot of times with your office chair, it'll actually, you'll have compression marks in the arms of the office chair because you have your hands up too high. And that tells you, hey, you're putting a strain on some part of your body that you shouldn't be. It can really hurt you a lot. And you've got to be really careful and get good equipment and position your stuff so that you can not be hurt over the long term. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about it. It might have been on another podcast that I was on as a guest, but talking about the distance of the monitor from your eyes. Yeah. And I've had to play with that a lot because you know, I mean, now I've got a 50 inch TV. Yeah. With your new setup. Cause like I have your old setup. I haven't put it on my desk yet, but um, yeah, break, you know, you might want to reinforce that desk cause that thing ain't light. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get a new desk before I set that up and a KVM switch and a few other things. I've got a list of things to get before I use the new setup you gave me. But all that said, yeah, like I've wondered how you have that set up because like it's not a curved monitor. Yeah, okay, so I did a ghetto thing. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what I did. The monitors, you know, since it's a four monitor setup, the top two were tilted slightly down. And the two bottom ones, well, and both, actually both of them, they weren't straight on. And so I tilted them in. And so it was not curved, but not straight, if that makes sense. Like, I don't recommend doing it that way, because I really do think that that probably hurt me over time. But, you know, compared to all the other crap I do, it's probably a drop in the bucket. I'll also say that, you know, one thing that gets a lot of us is that we sit for a really long period of time and working remotely if your lifestyle tends to be oriented around your computer anyway, when you're home, so like you play a lot of games, you browse the web, you have you know a side hustle that you're working on, and you're in front of your computer all day, it's very easy to sit way too long and to get no breaks because you're in front of the, the screen you know, 12 hours a day. That will hurt you in a big hurry, even if you're ergonomically positioned. Yeah, I will say that is one of the benefits of having dogs is... You got to get up and take them out. And honestly, I use that as an opportunity to get some movement. It's also one of the reasons I get really frustrated with those classes I was talking about earlier that only let you have a break like once every four hours. Because the way I work, unless I'm just like, sometimes I'll, I'll push it a little bit because I'm like, oh man, I'm really working on this. Or like, I've, you know, I'll figure something out and I'm like, all right, I got to finish this thought out like finish working on this piece before I break. But I try to get up and walk around if at least just to take the dog outside and let him use the bathroom once an hour. Yeah. I don't, I don't do it quite that much, but yeah, you got to be able to get up and, and move around. Now I will go pop my back. So I've got a squat rack outside, you know, out in the garage and I'll go and jump and grab the top of that and, you know, basically do like a slow pull up because it pops everything in my shoulders and my back. 
and just makes it where it hurts less. But you got to be, you just got to be really careful about this. You have to think about how everything in your office is positioned. You don't just throw that stuff together and go, oh, it's good enough. You really need to pay a lot of attention to aches and pains as they come up because usually that's the beginnings of something, right? Like if you start misusing a muscle, it aches initially and you may get used to the ache and not pay attention to it later. So as soon as it starts hurting, you need to fix whatever is causing that because it'll become chronic and you won't be paying attention to it until it's real bad. I know when I redesigned my office, cause like originally I had my desk up against a wall and like I had the whole office behind me to move back and forth and kind of get the right position. But when I rearranged, I was a lot closer because I gave a whole quarter of the office over to Amanda for when she was teaching in the afternoons and evenings. And so I said something to her about, I was like, yeah, I was like, I got to figure stuff out because it's just a little too cramped. And she's like, Oh, well I'm only there for 30 minutes to an hour max a day. She's like you can like shrink the size of my area and it will be fine. (laughs) Which really, really helped. So the next thing, big thing that you have to think about when long-term remote work is socialization. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is your social interactions will happen incidentally when you go into the office, right? You're sitting in a cube next to somebody and you talk. When you're working from home, you're going to have to do this intentionally. And I know there's a lot of other introverts out there that are like, oh, I'm fine working from home. You probably got a rude awakening over the last few weeks because it turns out that most of us need at least some social interaction. Like that's the history of our species. And you're not going to override all that just because you have a preference. You're not going to get as bad as like Tom Hanks's character in Castaway, but over time, you'll get kind of weird if you stay too isolated. And this will express itself in a lot of different ways. Either you'll, you'll do what I did at a previous job where I was working from home 100% of the time. And I realized that I had not been keeping my socialization like it needed to be. One day when I went to the gas station and the woman behind the counter asked me how I was doing and I told her. <laughs> right. And you're like, okay. You know, that is not the level of social acuity I would like to have as a normal functioning member of society. So when I went remote four days a week, this was what, three years ago? Yeah, I've I've been remote for quite some time. It was, I think, two and a half, three years ago that we went full, basically full remote. We went into the office one day a week and I was opposed to it as an extrovert. And just like someone who always studied better outside of the home and just like home is my place to relax, not a place to work. And we'll, we'll get into some of this other stuff later, but like I had to just set up a place, a literal space for working that I stepped away from when I wasn't. But that said, once I kind of got, I started getting used to it and I really liked it because I could get more work done with fewer interruptions meaning I could be more effective and get more reward for that. But that said, because like, hey, you did a good job is a big reward for someone whose love language is words of uh, affirmation. All that said, 
I had to be very conscious of the fact that I was extroverted because I will get work focused and forget to go out. And then I get really like, it wears me down and I'll get grumpy. I did have at least the podcast going on. So I saw Will once a week, but there was the first few weeks of that before I figured out how to balance that with what I needed. It was pretty rough. I mean, I'm sure Will remembers like I would come over and talk for like an hour before we would even start setting up to record. Yeah. And I I remember having to be conscientious about letting you get that out of your system before we recorded because it just turned the recordings into a dumpster fire, (laughs) you know, and you'll just find that you kind of have to do that. I think a lot of people probably are starting to realize that as the quarantine wears on. The real fix for this in a normal environment, which we're not in right now, is to regularly meet with other people for lunch or have a social life outside of work. I actually, for a while there, you know, I went to lunch a couple times with one of your coworkers, you know, who lives like right down the road here. That's a real good idea. Yeah. I would say when I lived there, I used to meet him for lunch as well. He's a really good guy. And uh, he got promoted pretty quickly, but he really stepped into his promotion. I mean, he's a really awesome person. That said, one thing that's helped me is church. Just like that, that social interaction of going a few times a week and then the small groups and just the community that it provides is really great for me. Even in this current time where we're not getting to physically meet, we as one of the leaders there, we are trying to provide for people. So we have moved to a, all right, we're going to, we're doing, you know, a lot of streaming and then also a lot of like Zoom or Jitsi or I think even WebEx is allowing, is giving away personal accounts. Like these companies who were designed, like their software is designed for corporate use are giving away free personal accounts right now. Yeah, because they realize it's valuable. And I think, you know, at some level, you have to value the socialization to the point where you have non, you know, you have non-work co-conversations with your coworkers, right? Like you just sit and talk to them about something else. This is something you're really going to have to manage well, because what you want to do is be not necessarily a friend, but at least not be an anonymous person to your team members. Because if you let that rapport rot, you actually get a lot less effective and you're more likely to get replaced. And I will say this on that because when I started learning to play guitar, we're in Nashville, so everybody's a musician in Nashville. And it's amazing how much music, especially music theory, relates to software development and like just the mental model and concepts there. We actually have a friend who does a talk on it. So... When I started learning guitar, the musicians at work, just like I was one of them. And I'm like, guys, I can play like three or four chords. Of course, their thing was, oh, you can play every pop song. (laughs) Yeah. Well, give or take. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, it was just one of those things. It's like, no, you're one of us. You're making this effort to learn. You're damaged goods now. Uh, Well, it was more of like you're making this effort to learn was our passion. And like, I remember Dave saying, he's like, yo, I told him about getting my first guitar pedal. He's like, Oh, and it starts. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you'll buy more. Don't worry. (laughs) So 
the next thing that you're going to have to handle, and this is probably one of the most critical and the easiest one to ignore, is your overall health. You know, this is stuff like your diet, your exercise, your mental health. They're super easy to ignore when you work from home because you can kind of adjust a camera and not look fat. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's completely doable unless your camera's positioned like mine and then you look like you have waddles no matter what you do. That's because you have it set at the fat angle, literally. Yeah, because I have it where it's not in my way looking at the screen the rest of the time. I mean, I guess I could like push it down and then pop it up every time, but you know. Honestly, if you had it set at the top pointing down on you, that's the thin angle. If you notice, that's how I have my camera set. Okay, I'm not even going <laughs> to comment there. Um, <laughs> Just saying, I mean, I have gained 15 pounds since November, so I need to lose some. Yeah. You know, it's really easy to, you know, skimp out on your physical appearance, your mental state when working from home, you know, because you can get away with it, right? Like you can cover it up because nobody's actually seeing you. The other thing that happens is there tends to be a lot of snack food in most people's houses because they live there. And when you're stuck at home all the time or you're at home by choice all the time, it's right there. You know, you don't have to go to a vending machine and have cash. You don't have to remember to bring it. You don't have to restock the snack drawer. It's really easy to put on a lot of weight. Well, you do still have to restock the snack drawer because you have to go to the store every now and then. Yeah, but you restock it from Costco. You know, it's not like you you brought a few candy bars in because you're being smart. It's like, oh, no, that box of granola bars that I'm thinking of right now that's got like 80 granola bars in it is sitting in the floor of my pantry, right? Like it's, you know, 20 paces away. It tends to be a lot simpler to not resist or to skip normal meals and eat crap when you work from home, which is definitely something I've been fighting during this whole lockdown thing because I'm the cook. And so it's like, you know, if I don't want to cook, I'll just eat something junky and yeah, it's not good for you. You know, what's funny is I've actually been cooking more because I tend to eat out a lot. And so it doesn't mean I've been healthier, but I've been cooking more, but I, I tend to like skip lunch because I'm like, man, I just don't, you know, I don't want to put something into thaw. I don't want to mess with it. And, you know, plus my schedule is a mess anyway. So this is why I do what our friend Guy taught me. Oh, 15 some odd years ago about picking a weekend day and doing the meal prep for lunches. Yeah, that's Sundays for me. Yeah, that's what he used to do was Sundays. But, um, you know, another thing too is a lot of times when you're driving into the office, you'll have sort of a routine of stopping by the gym on your way home. And when you're at home, you need to develop some kind of routine. This is one thing that, uh, like last semester was good for me because I had to go into class three days a week. And so I just, you know, I built it into that schedule. It was like middle of the day. So I'd go, I'd spend the morning on campus working, go to class, go to the gym and then go home. But uh, then as this semester started up, one, I was sick and then had the kidney stone. And I just never got back into the habit of going to the gym before they closed. But I had to develop that. Even living in an apartment complex, I had to develop the habit of walking, you know, across the street to the the workout equipment there in the apartment complex. Yeah, it, this one really jumps up and bites you a lot. And you know, the thing is, is you really need to be working out a couple times a week, preferably more than that, 
um, and getting up and walking around regularly, stretching, probably meditating or doing something mental, um, you know, some meditation, prayer, any, you know, something that, that like gets you out of your head or not out of your head, but gets your, your head right. And is not so focused on, uh, the coding aspect. So sometimes that can be art. Sometimes that can be meditation. Sometimes it can be something else. What you want is something to get your mind off of problem solving. Yeah. Because if you put it into something else that is still that kind of that same mentality is the, the issue. I would also say find a park or something close to where you live. Even if you live in the city, there will likely be a park not too far from you. If you're out in the country, you can find hiking trails, usually state parks or something like that. You can trespass to the neighbors. <laughs> that's what I always did. Yeah. Within like a 30 to 45 minute drive, like there's one that's about 20 minutes away. It's a city park there in Murfreesboro. And then Henry Horton's about 30 or so minutes away from where I live. But usually within a short drive, you can find one. And since you're not having to commute to work, you know, this is also a great time to listen to podcasts is going out to the park and back. Just saying. Yeah. And a lot of podcasters have lost traffic while this has gone on because people are still figuring out their routines. And speaking of routines, one other critical thing that you need to figure out is your work-life balance. When you work from home, it's really, really easy to overwork or underwork, you know, because you're in your house. You know, you could have the whole thing of, you know, just 10 more minutes and that can turn into hours, whether that is playing a game when you should be working or working when you should be stopping work and doing something else. It's also very tempting to always be available no matter the time. This is one thing that I am thankful I did not do. I set very strict because I had a lot going on. And I think really the podcast is what helped me most with it is I had to be like, all right, no, I can't work late. This is back then we were recording on Monday nights. I was like, I can't work late on Monday nights because we record. Yeah. I mean, some of this is having other things in your life. I think the other thing that's helped me a lot is going, okay, there is a limited and fixed amount of over you know, after hours stuff that I'll do. So like eight o'clock at night, I check and see if there are any pull requests and I go and I try to triage that for the team. You know, it's not a whole lot of work. You can do it with a couple of beers in your system, frankly, because it's just mainly making sure that things make sense and you get that done. You're providing a valuable service, but you're not spending a crap ton of time and you're not having to be super focused. And if you limit it there, you go, Hey, I do this thing. I don't feel compelled to do more. Yeah, I don't really feel compelled to do more anyway. When I'm on the clock, I give 100% to it. And so, like, at that cutoff point, like, here's an example. I had my boss last Thursday sent me a message. He's like, hey, I'm inviting you to these two meetings tomorrow. Last minute invitation to these meetings, but he asked me to come to him. He's like... I don't mind. He's like, I need you at the first one. I don't mind if you, you know, I understand if you can't make it to the second one. I'm like, what's he talking about? And then he sent the invitations. And they were the end of the day on a Friday. And he knows I'm very, very strict, especially about Fridays. I'm very strict about my time. But that said, I mean, you know, it's, I didn't mind. I went to both meetings and ended up 
ending the f- second meeting early because I was able to answer their questions and it didn't go over. But that said, my boss already knows. He's like, hey, you're, you know, I know you work these hours. And at the end of that time, that's when you're done for the day. And he respects that. And that's honestly, that's one of the things that's kept me around so long is that, you know, he's not been my boss for the whole time I've been here, but almost all of them have respected that. Yeah. And I think the main thing is having the boundary. The other reason I check the PRs at about eight o'clock at night is because if I approve stuff, it goes into the automated build pipeline. And so first thing in the morning, that's not jammed which is when I tend to submit mine, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it's not, in, let me just say that it is not entirely altruistic by any stretch of the imagination. It also encourages some of my uh, coworkers that are a little bit out to the West to work later. And so they're not in earlier. And so it's easier to get my stuff through. So th- that's why I do it. That, and it's not that hard. So another thing that can really hurt your work-life balance is stuff like social media, playing games on your phone, or even just sitting and staring when you're supposed to be working. That can destroy your productivity. And the thing about it is, is either you end up losing the job or you end up working at night to make up the difference. And the latter is the one that I actually see people do more often. And the trick to this is you have to have good attention and time management skills using whatever method you use. I know people that use the Pomodoro technique. I know people that uh, use getting things done. I know people that, you know, have varying techniques for how they do this stuff, but you have to have one and you have to stick to it so that you don't destroy yourself from a work-life balance perspective. So the next thing that you have to consider is your own career growth. You can damage your career by working remotely. This is especially true if your coworkers are not working from home. That's interesting because one of the conversations I've had as my friend, your friend too, as he got promoted up into a lead developer position, we had moved to remote and he was the same level I am now. And he got promoted and doesn't get to work remote as much. Like he's still technically remote, but he has to go into the office a lot more often for meetings and things like that. And it's something that I've looked at and I'm like, I one, I don't want to move up that quickly, but I'm like, all right, when I do, it's a balance thing. Like, you know, I've seen some of my coworkers, we went remote and they moved further out. I mean, I moved further out too, but like we're talking way further out. Yeah. The thing about it is, if management can't see you and your management doesn't have a heuristic to identify good workers, they forget that you're there. Or worse, they don't have a good way to know that you're working. And so they assume that you're not. Because people fill in the gaps for stuff they don't know. Now, I do have one former coworker. She just recently took a position outside of uh, our group, but she's been working remote for, I don't know. 15 years or so. Basically her husband got promoted and they had to move. And she was like, well, I can either work remote. And at the time I think she was a web admin. And so it was like, I can either work remote or I can leave. 
and they decided to keep her on, let her work remote, and she worked really hard to maintain that through a time where nobody wanted remote workers, at least not there. And, you know, she was one of the examples of why we should be allowed to work remote. Yeah. And now we have millions of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, you know, the thing about it is with remote is you have to be careful about how you do it. And one of the things you need to do is you have to over communicate. Otherwise you're going to be a casualty of the next round of layoffs and it doesn't really matter how good you are because they don't know that you're good. Yeah, you should have regular one-on-one conversations, touch points with your management, both to make sure that you're hitting the targets that they want and to make sure that your career trajectory is being maintained and respected. Yeah, and that's the trick, right? Is because a lot of them will go, oh, you work remote. You can do, you know, we'll just make you do this garbage work. You know, here's this, you know, old framework from 2002 that we want you to maintain 100% of your time. It's like, dude, if I do that remote, like I can't go anywhere. I can't get a different job. Yeah. I mean, again, my situation is a little bit different because we're all remote. We have been for several years, but it is quite nice. Just you get stuff done, but we have a lot of meetings, a lot of WebEx. I mean, even Slack calls and conversations uh, on there and emails. And that's one thing I do unless I am specifically working on something and management knows, hey, I am heads down coding, I try to respond to emails as quickly as possible. You know? And I feel bad, like, well, and it kind of depends. I had one manager, he's not here anymore. He's moved on since since this, but uh, I was in the bathroom and he sent me a Slack and going, hey, why haven't you responded to my email? And I'm like, I'm in the bathroom. And I get back and like he had literally sent the email two minutes before he sent the Slack. Like even if I weren't in the bathroom, I wouldn't have seen it that fast. Yeah, because there's latency in the email programs too. I mean, there just is. You know, remote work is, it definitely changes everything, especially the way you interact with management. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, your, your training and your skill maintenance gets to be a really big problem if you don't deal with it. You've got to do things like establish appropriate mentoring relationships and you got to do it when you're remote. So you can't just turn around and get help on something. You know, you have to have like this intentional process. So you got to find the people in your organization that learn the new technology and you got to learn from them and you got to do all that while both of you still had to be productive. Yeah. Uh, remote work is a lot like working on an island. If you don't bring something there, it's hit or miss whether you're going to find it there. Uh, you know, and also you should regularly be having coworkers check over your work. You can learn a lot from processes like code reviews. You know, it's interesting. One of the projects I worked on about a year or so ago, maybe a little bit more than that when we finished they had a bug come up and it came to me to figure out what was going on. Well, I figured it out and I told management, all right, here's what it is. They assigned the, the fix to another developer. They told me they were going to do that because they had other work for me to do. So I was tasked with bringing him up to speed. 
on what the issue is. And it was funny because at first I thought it was going to be the junior developer we have on the API team. And so I had planned out, all right, here's how I'm going to explain what I did, why I did it, and how to fix it. And then they changed it on me and they assigned the API developer who's been doing this longer than Will to it. And so I'm like, all right, we're on a WebEx and I'm trying to explain to him how to to do it. And he's like, yeah, I kind of know what you're talking about there. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I thought they were going to give me the junior developer. So in like all the stuff that I wrote down on how to explain this out to someone is based on explaining it to a junior. He laughed. We had a good laugh about it. What was crazy is my lead was there. And I honestly, I think she was working on something else. She was just sort of in the call because like, we're kind of closing things out and she's like, oh, hey, you realize if you did this and it was exactly what I told him to do, that you could avoid this problem. I'm like, and that which was the problem we were trying to solve. And I'm like, that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I sent her a, a Slack message on the side. I'm like, uh, were you working on something else while I was explaining yeah. that? <laughs> It it happens a lot. <laughs> we all had a good laugh. Yeah. I mean, it was, we had a good laugh about it, but yeah, like that, and that's one of the things with working remote is you got to keep that up. You also have to take control of your training. I mean, all of our training is remote right now, but I've been doing remote training for, well, before we went remote, I learned that if you did the, uh, they call it anywhere training, the not in a classroom training, you could stay home. So I just started always picking those classes. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you at all. I mean, the, the thing about it is, is you, you take control of your training anyway. Like you should be doing this in an office, but especially from home, your employer might help you a little bit, but you kind of need to direct it just because you're crazy if you're relying on them too much. And if you want to work remotely for a long period of time, that's especially crazy because that may make it really hard to get something else. So the next thing you have to think about for long-term remote is your financial situation. You're definitely going to save money working remote, at least in the short term. That does not mean you can be lax on finances. That does not mean that you can, uh, you know, order pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If they deliver, I don't think they deliver breakfast pizzas. No, they won't. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I had a roommate in college got really mad about that. It's like, dude, the, why would they do that? <laughs> you know, like you're the only person that's as messed up. That that was not me, by the way. No, it wasn't for once. <laughs> not a roommate story that was about you. <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing about it is, is you save money by working remotely, usually, at least over the short term. But you can't, if you let it slide, what ends up happening is you'll get this lifestyle inflation going mainly because you're in your house all the time. And so all the crap you normally notice in the evenings, it's like, oh, I should probably fix that. Now you're like, well, I'm here all day. I could pay to have somebody come out and fix that. Or, you know, I really want a rice cooker, right? Like those little quick decisions like that will actually end up starting to add up. And it's really easy to justify because, again, you're in that house all day. Also, it can take longer to get a new job if you're remote most of the time. And so your extra savings, they, they're going to need to keep growing so that you're not forced back into an office. I know this has happened to you before. Yeah, more than once. 
where I got forced to go back and take an office job or even worse, take a really bad office job just to keep the lights on. You don't want to be in that position. So you do need to have your finances under really good control. I mean, the other thing about it is too, is if you have your finances under good control, when it comes time for you to do something else, you know, you decide that, hey, I don't want to be a developer. I want to start a company and write software to kick it off. You're going to want that runway. You also need to try to make sure that you live way below your means uh, if possible. So like pay attention to the stuff that you spend money on. One thing that I kind of realized that I was doing a lot of, even still, you know, even with a fully remote position, is that I was spending a lot of money trying to compensate for things in my life that I didn't like. Right. And so going out to eat was probably a big part of that. And if you start paying attention to what you're spending your money on, a lot of times it's stuff that's not absolutely necessary if you take care of the underlying problem. Yeah. I know I am. Um, I have an issue. I'm really, really good at living at my means and maybe saving a little bit, but not much. And it's come to light a lot now because a lot of the time as an extrovert, a lot of what I was spending my money on was going out. And, you know, I've cut that back. I'm eating, eating at home a lot more. And then like, even when we like, I went over to Amanda's last night and we, we tip really well because they're not getting as much business. I mean, we're not giving them as much business either, but you know, we tipped a hundred percent last night on the food we got. And I've still like still spent less this week than a normal week going out. The next thing you have to consider is your organization in general. Yeah. When you start working remote at the beginning, it's just, you know, getting the ropes down and learning how to get stuff done. But subsequent months into this, you're going to have to learn how to keep getting things done. So your organizational skills are what will carry you through getting your work done effectively. And after a while, you really can't count on your teammates or management for this because it's going to be a lot more stuff around your own workflow and around how you keep things together. One thing in particular that will get you in a lot of trouble is not asking for something until you need it. When you're remote and you can't tell whether a coworker is actually in their chair or not, this is a recipe for spending a lot of time you know, waiting. I can remember I worked at a company that did not have good core hours and one of the other coworkers that I had would leave for karate lessons for three or four hours in the middle of the day. And so if you asked him for something at nine o'clock in the morning, it was two 30 or three in the afternoon before you got an answer. If then, and if you are hourly and you're spending that amount of time waiting, that is a really, really bad situation to be in. So you've got to get out of the habit of, not forecasting what you need. You're going to have to, you know, actually plan ahead. This also means that you're going to have to get a lot better about anticipating problems and solving them before they happen. So sometimes this means just asking better questions during meetings. Sometimes it means scheduling a little bit more aggressively or thinking more long-term about what the results of an action are going to be. These are things that you have to do. This also includes your own equipment issues, right? You have to anticipate that, hey, uh, my router's been acting a little bit weird. It might be a good time to go get a new one and get it configured so that when this one dies, I just swap it out. You're going to have to think about equipment stuff because, again, you're not in an office and you don't have somebody to rely on to do this for you. It's all you now. 
So the next thing, and this is the the penultimate thing we're going to talk about, is distractions and discipline. Distractions in the home can really cut into your ability to work effectively. And even worse, your boss isn't going to be there to, you know, tell your dog or your kids to stop pestering you. Or the neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the things that we had to do when we went remote was sign a paper saying, hey, we would not be alone with a child under a certain age, a person with, you know, who we had responsibility for taking care of. You know, where we wouldn't be the the sole caretaker for someone who needed that, you know, and, and even beyond that, like the these are obvious distractions. You can also be disrupted by the actions of other people outside of your control. Yeah. In fact, those are some of the worst ones. I have a neighbor who I don't know if they're trying to sell their house or whatever. It's the one just like straight behind me. They have a either a leaf blower or a weed eater going i feel like it's three times a week at 7:45 in the morning when i'm on my morning call i always have to mute because there is a leaf blower and loud shouting back and forth in spanish right outside my window it's constant you're going to run into this kind of stuff working from home and you're going to have to have some way of management you know you're now in my case i'm just like hey i'm going to mute the microphone my manager knows what's going on he thinks it's funny some fine, but you know, you're going to have to let people know about those sort of things. And this is why I don't want to live in a neighborhood. I like having some distance between me and my neighbors where I can, you know, although I'm kind of surprised you haven't been disrupted by your neighbors, like shooting at cans and stuff in the backyard, you know, like there's not, not that early in the morning. No. There is that. Yeah. They're probably still hung over. <laughs> um, but you know, like, <laughs> I could legitimately like everywhere you live, there's going to be noise problems at particularly at particular times of day. You know, people get in a habit just like you do. So if you're in a big city, it may be something like car horns, you know, somewhere like here, it's, you know, leaf blowers and all that kind of racket or people cleaning the house. If you have somebody come in to do that, which we do, you know, they'll run the vacuum cleaner. They've done it when I've been in a meeting, like they've run it right behind me. (laughs) It's like I'm on a call and you can see other people, you know, like, it looks like the Brady Bunch on the screen with all the people's faces. It's like, what do you think I'm doing? Like just talking into a microphone and I've had to mute, but you know, whatever it's predictable. Even if you're way out in the sticks, invariably you'll get a neighbor that has a, a, a rooster or two. That doesn't bother me as much funnily, oddly enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. All you got to do is like trap some foxes and let them loose. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know, it's yeah, like just, uh, that, that doesn't really bother me for some reason. The other thing is you have to choose your distractions that are useful to you. You know, I mean, you say here watching TV isn't, but it is if used properly. Like I use television. uh, One of the things I like to do is watch TV when I'm eating lunch because it just gives me that like midday mental break. I'll go watch. Honestly, I usually watch the Simpsons because I've got Disney plus. So I've been watching through. Well, and you never run out of episodes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'll watch a 20 minute episode of the Simpsons while I'm eating lunch. And it just, it just gives me that mental break and a little bit of noise going on while I'm eating. Yeah. I'll do that with YouTube sometimes. Like I'll watch like, uh, there's like a Korean chef that I watch, you know, who makes all kinds of different stuff and I'll periodically like drop over to that. I think the way that most people watch TV 
though legitimately is not useful in terms of it's not a bleed off valve for stress or like a, you know, I'm going to focus on something else for a minute. It's a replacement for everything. It's just a just veg out. Yeah. And sometimes again, like you said, bleed off valve for stress. Sometimes that's good where you just want to relax and veg out for a little bit under certain restrictions. Like I'm going to do this one night or like, that's what I like to do. I like to be like, all right, tonight is just, I'm going to have no responsibility and just veg out, play video games, watch TV, whatever. And it's very relaxing doing that once every other week or so. So the final thing we're going to talk about is sleep. A lot of people working remotely have really bad sleep patterns. Unfortunately, this is really common. Yeah, especially now. I know mine has been messed up. I've had really vivid dreams, um, just really strange dreams for several weeks. You know, that's part of it. Part of it's the stress. Part of it is the other people in the house don't have the same schedule they used to have anymore. And it's really easy to get into a pattern where your sleep is disrupted, where you're getting like four hours of sleep a night and then trying to work a full day. And then now you're trying to catch up after hours because you're kind of messed up and you get all hyped up on caffeine and you can't sleep the next night either. You know, it's interesting too, because I have a coworker who he will get up early, work for a few hours, then we'll have like morning meetings and then take a two or three hour lunch break. And during that lunch break, eat lunch, take a shower and take a nap and then come back and finish the day out. And it's what works for him because his, his best times are early in the morning and in the evening. And then he has like that long lunch break and meetings before and after it, which is when they tend to like to schedule meetings, which is frustrating for me. Cause I'm like, you know, I like to sleep in a little bit, get up work. And then it's like, meetings when I really want to be eating, but you know. Yeah, I've been having that problem too because uh, my work is Eastern time. And so like they go, oh, it's a one o'clock meeting. I'm like, that's at noon. Now, right now it doesn't matter because if you go somewhere to get food, you bring it back here. But if like, hey, I want to go out to eat and you've scheduled a one o'clock meeting every day this week, that means I never get to go out to eat because I can't get back in time because places don't open until 11. A lot of them, a lot of the ones I like, they they open right at 11. And so if you get there, you know, 1045, you're sitting in the parking lot for 15 minutes and it's 10 minutes away. Really? Most of the places I remember, well, I guess it depends on where you're going to. Yeah. I would say most of the places. The Mexican place we used to go to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was thinking that that one bar and grill that has really good burgers, they open at 1030. I'll circle back with you after this this recording is done because talk about that. The thing about it is, is you can get away with poor and inconsistent sleep habits for a while, especially if you're younger, but they catch up to you and they catch up to you all at once. So like you don't really notice how tired you are until you're just completely hosed and you start making mistakes and it'll happen at like 10 o'clock in the morning. It's like I got another several hours of work and I've got to not screw up before I can even try to take a nap. Well, the whole eight hours of sleep is an average. The amount of sleep per person varies. Like for me, six hours a night. Yeah, six and a half to seven is about right for me, I've noticed. Yeah. About six hours for me is is what I need. Now that said, I do need about 30 minutes to fall asleep and 30 minutes to wake up. 
So seven hours of time in the bed. But uh, you know, if I had to, I you know, if I were really tired, I could go lay down, go right to sleep, wake up six hours later and be completely functional on a regular basis. And then once every now and then, maybe once every quarter or something, get like a night, a day of like nine hours sleep where I just really let myself sleep in. Now, that is one thing I have not gotten to do during this whole quarantine because I work, you know, during the work week, but I'm on the stream team at church. So I'm coming in. I get to sleep in a little bit on Sundays because we're not starting until we don't do the stream until 1030. But I haven't like had the opportunity to be like, all right, I'm just going to sleep in because I don't have any responsibilities this week. No, it's like Saturday, Sunday. I'm always there in the mornings. Yeah, it does seem like it's a lot worse now. I have an eight o'clock phone call every Sunday morning. I have a mastermind group. It's just me and another guy now. But you know, the thing about it is, is you, you kind of have to get this stuff set up where it's consistent and just try to manage your sleep based off of how you're feeling. So if you're sleepy during the day, sleep more at night and you'll get to the right amount eventually and then get that consistent. If you let it slip when you go into an office, you know, and then you recover afterward, it can really become a destructive habit because you end up oversleeping and then not sleeping enough. And then oversleeping, you get into the cycle where you're you're overworking and undersleeping and then switching places on those things. Yeah. The big thing there is consistency. So working remotely over time has got a lot of challenges. While these can be overcome as they occur, you're usually better off if you address them before they happen, before you have to. Not only is this approach more sustainable, it's just a lot less stressful than trying to fix things after problems have already occurred. So that pretty much wraps us up. What do you have this week for us for Tricks of the Trade? So since we're talking about you know the COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic, however you want to say it, and, and panic-demic, yeah, there's a lot of panic around it. Though I will say they do make a good point. If all of our precautions are effective, it's going to look like we overreacted. And that's the point is like, we want it to look like we overreacted because we don't want the issues that come if we underreact. Let's kind of like the whole argument about food waste. People are like, oh, we waste so much food. And it's like, you know, if we weren't growing so much more food than we need, and it's like, do you realize what happens if we grow exactly as much food as we need and something happens? Yeah, that, that makes sense. But what I'm getting at is is less about that and more about just the stuff that I've seen recently on Facebook. And the attitude toward it, it's just, I've seen some stuff like the, the people who are against vaccines are against a vaccine for this. There's the, there are protests going on saying we need to restart the economy. Then there are, uh, there's like the other side saying, you know, arguing against that. And yeah, I saw one the other day where somebody's like, we need to stay shut down for 18 months. It's like you will be defending your canned goods with a shotgun from mutants in your front yard in 18 months. Like, <laughs> we can't do that. So what I'm trying to get at here, if Will will stop interrupting me. <laughs> ah, you know. <laughs> I like how optimistic you are. <laughs> I know, right? Is uh, I'm already seeing a lot of stuff, stuff I agree with and stuff I disagree with on Facebook on Twitter, not as much on Twitter because I'm not there as often, but on a lot of different social media. And 
even beyond this, you know, if you guys are listening to this months or years into the future and you're, you know, 2020 is just a thing in the textbooks. And for some reason you're still listening to this podcast, go you and go us for that. But uh, anyway, it applies across the board is what I'm getting at is you're going to see things you agree with and you disagree with on social media, on places like that. It's a matter of attitude. Like I have looked at things and I have written out responses many, many times because I have a lot more information than most of the people. I say information, a lot more knowledge about things, especially around biology and medicine and epidemiology because of my med school background than a lot of the people posting. And I've typed out many responses and then deleted them because, yeah, it's just, I typed them out and then I thought, what purpose does this serve? Does this serve to actually educate and help people understand what's going on? Or does it serve to cause an argument? Because you have to look at what the other person is posting and go, hey, are we actually, like, are they going to listen to what I say? Are they posting this because they want a dialogue? They want a discussion? Are they posting this because they've already formed a a belief and opinion and they are not open to listening to anything that disagrees with them? And even some of the people who I agree with I have stopped myself because I'm like, no, this is just going to cause strife for other people, people who are looking to argue with what they posted. And I just, what I'm saying is rein that in, unless your purpose is to cause an argument, in which case. Yeah, I mean, I've posted a few things just because like some people have gotten on my last nerve and I'm like, I'm going to tick them off where they go away forever. Because what's bugging me about it isn't so much the facts, like. Some of the data seems like it's a little mixed. That's always what happens in a crisis. So whatever. But the irrational, it's all, it's got to be all one thing or all the other thing just completely blows my mind. And it's like the extremes are super duper lethal either way. That's the way it is in a lot of situations. It's just right now we're actually seeing it where it is literally lethal. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more either way. That's kind of what I'm getting at here is. When you are talking to people, interacting with people, especially on social media where you're not in person, it's amazing how rude people will be when they don't actually see your face and they don't think of you as a person. But just think of what purpose is what I'm saying serving. Is it, I've tried to do this too with my own, like, and I'm not, I have not been good at this over my lifetime. Like Will can attest to that. Uh, It's not something I'm very good at and I struggle with a lot, but it's what purpose does this serve? Is it serving to help people to benefit them or is it just either making me feel good about my own opinions or is it like getting me some type of reward, emotional reward for feeling like I am smarter than the other person? or something like that, or feeling like I am better than them because of this or that. And so my point is when you're on social media, whether it's in this crisis or afterward, think about why you are saying the things you're saying. What is your reasoning behind that? And that's all I got. Stand by for Titan.
If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.